0: So the Nick Bob podcast is brought to you by Pella Windows and Doors. Uh, I am I'm looking at my window right now, and we are in a full fledged blizzard. We're we're in a full fledged blizzard, and if uh, it's cold outside, and if you're feeling cold inside that's not good. You know what what you need to do? You need to talk to your local Pella Omaha and Lincoln expert about taking a closer look at your windows. You can save energy and stay warm even during a blizzard when it's freezing outside with windows from Pella that are properly installed. The patented Pella way by professionals using window and doors with the highest energy efficiency ratings in the industry from Energy Star. Check them out online PellaOmaha.com That's PellaOmaha.com And the Nick Pop Podcast is brought to you by my friends at Runza. Listeners of uh, the podcast. You guys know I'm a hip-hop fan. That's why when It's time for me to get my lunch game, right? I crank up the Runza DMC, which stands for the Runza Delicious Meaty Combo. I get my Runza sandwich with a little cheese in that thing. I pair it up with the best crinkle fries on the planet. Polish it off with a beverage colder than the ice in Mitch Ballack's veins. That's the Runza DMC, the Delicious Meaty Combo. Get to Runza today. Get yours. Tell them your friend Nick Ba sent you. Okay. It is uh, Monday, January 25th. And I haven't talked to uh, to my old pal, John Niatawa, the Omaha World Herald. I haven't talked to him on the podcast yet since hoop season has, has started. He's obviously the Creighton beat writer, uh, a guy that I've known for, gosh, almost a little over a decade now. Always enjoy talking hoops with John. Um, and he is he, he obviously under, he, he covers this team, this Blue Jay team, very closely, knows this team inside and out. And I uh, really wanted to kind of pick his brain on – you know where we're at with this squad right now. We're 15 games in. Um, you know Creighton had they, they finally got off the 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 losing schneid here of losing a couple games in a row. They took down UConn over the weekend, uh, so the Jays are sitting at what 11 and four right now um, with with big aspirations as the calendar is going to turn to February and ultimately March. So there's certainly a lot to talk about with the Creighton Blue Jays right now. So let's get to it. Here's my podcast chat. Creighton beat writer John Niatawa. Enjoy. All right, on the line now, Creighton uh, Blue Jay beat writer, John Niatow, one of my favorite guys. Uh, I always enjoy Johnny. I, I love talking basketball with you. You got a great basketball mind, and I love it. You, you, I always feel like I, I, every you and I had a long talk after the, I think it was the Nebraska game about like Creighton recruiting and all that stuff. You and I just stumble into like deep conversations with basketball. That is, I, I thoroughly enjoy it. And it's been a long time, so welcome back to the podcast. And how are you, my friend?
1: Yeah, this is probably good, Nick, because, like, I think my wife's getting tired of me, like, throwing out theories of, <laughs> oh, you know, I, I wonder if Creighton can do something different with his ball screen coverage, or, uh, you know, maybe, maybe there's a way, different way of a Creighton can attack the help side defender. She's like, what are you talking I about? I know what you're Stop. saying. <laughs> and I'm like, I actually don't know if I know what I'm talking about. That's right. the problem. That's Isn't why that funny? You oh, no. can kind of set me straight, well, uh, you, your expertise. By the way, can I give you some some praise? What game were you on that? The Butler game, Creighton Butler. Oh yeah, I thought you did a great job. Thank you. Uh, that, giving some insights to the Creighton fans, mostly about the pace and the impact that that pace can have. Not just obviously transition is 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 it's key for Creighton to score in transition, but when they're moving the way they are capable of on offense in the half court, they can really put teams in bind. So, yeah. uh, always enjoy you. You're inside on games, so there's there's my. uh,
0: There we go. Hey, we're we're patting each other in the back. Yeah, I like I like it. I uh, I want to start with this, and I want to like. I mean, obviously, I think you and I are both really high on this team, and we think a lot of the you know we think a lot of the coaching staff, we think a lot of this uh, this group. But and I I really think this this team can achieve historic things for the program. I really believe that. But let me, kind of, let me just kind of – because I don't even know how I feel about this, but I just kind of want to, like, use you as a sounding board. At the same time, John, so we're, like – we're 15 games into the season. And I would say that Creighton has only looked – I'm saying looked in air quotes – looked elite for, like, two and a half, maybe three games. Like, second half against Nebraska – uh the Seton Hall game at home the St. John's game at home you could maybe throw the St. John's game on the road you can maybe throw like the first half of Marquette in there but been a ton of grinders and they've won them which is which is great and significant progress but help me make sense of that and I don't know if you feel that same way like if we really are being honest like they've really only looked like that, you know, like you think about last year's DePaul game or the Butler game or certain times where they just were like a buzzsaw. And maybe we've created this unrealistic expectation that every single time they come out, they're going to score a hundred points, hit 18 threes, and just have, you know, spectacular offensive basketball on display. But help me, help me kind of make sense of that.
1: No, I feel like you're not wrong in your assessment. And sure there there's some of last year that's like bleeding into our perception of what this team is or can be. But I don't think that's that's inaccurate or um I, I feel like Creighton returned a lot of pieces. Right right. So like the, the I the core group of what Creighton had last year and, and how it finished the season, like that group is back. So I, I don't think that it it's you're off base to make those types of conclusions and kind of apply, um, you know, some thoughts and analysis and assessments of last year to this year's group and and compare, Um, you know, the, the, the pandemic's made things weird. So perhaps that's part of it just in terms of they had, they had didn't work out together during the summer and their preseason was disjointed. So uh, maybe that's part of it. Um, But, you know, if, if last year didn't happen, Nick, I think that I would I'd be at this point in the season just be, be thinking like, okay, Creighton, you know, the ceiling's maybe not as high as I thought it would be. You know, like they, mm-hmm. uh, they've like you said, they've had some, they've shown they can win in different ways, but they just haven't been consistent. And that's maybe that's just who this team is. But last year kind of proved that if if they can find something and find a groove and settle into roles. And uh, sort of listen to their coaches and buy into what they're saying, like they can get better rather drastically. Because at this point, last year we weren't thinking that Creighton's going to win the Big East. True, that's a good point. I wasn't. Yeah, <laughs> no, I wasn't, I wasn't either. Right, winning right. The Big East uh, going to be in line for a two seed. Um, I was thinking more like. Creighton might be on the right side of the bubble right now, but it has work to do to get in the NCAA tournament. That's a good point. I'm not sure if it's there yet. Yeah. And so um, that track record of improvement, maybe you can apply that to this year's team and we'll see where they're, where they're at in 10 games. Uh, Because like, and I think that's what's so tantalizing for, for Creighton fans is they've seen these glimpses. Like you you mentioned pretty much all of them where they've looked really good. And, uh, and given what, we saw from this group last year like well they can definitely replicate that on a more consistent basis because they did it right um so i think that's probably the encouraging part but yeah like it it it, it's taken a little bit longer than i expected considering all the pieces that are coming back you'd think that they would have been able to kind of pick up with where they left off a little bit faster than others but there's been some other circumstances that have led to a little bit uh, yeah right of a work in progress for him
0: yeah i mean shoot i mean I mean, it, at the end, of the day, they are eleven and four, and you know they could have won every single game they've lost. In fact, you could say if they just sh- made free throws. I mean, something as simple as like if they just make free throws, they could be undefeated right now. So at the same time, that's also maybe if you want to look at it from the other perspective, like man, they haven't even necessarily like really started humming, and they're still winning games, which is good. But yeah, I mean, I think the. Uh, I mean, look at, look at, I mean, Duke might not make the NCAA tournament. Kentucky is like a bad basketball team right now. North Carolina isn't ranked inside the top 25. And even when you look at football, like Michigan was bad this year. Penn state was bad this year. Like the pandemic, I, 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 the pandemic and, and all that goes into it, I think, I, I think we have to acknowledge on some level makes, makes an impact. And I wonder also too, John, how much like no fans at games makes an impact for a team like Creighton, because there were so many times that, that it, it feels like when Creighton would maybe kinda of get rolling, maybe that 7-0 run turns into a thirteen to two run or whatever, you know, and, and that and, and without fans,
1: maybe maybe that's a factor too. Well, and I think I think you're kinda of onto something because when Creighton was really good last year, because of its scoring threat and potential potency offensively, like it put teams on their heels. Mm-hmm. Like they knew uh oh, two threes in a row, like we gotta go. Because if we don't um Creighton's gonna this, this six point lead's gonna turn into a twelve point lead in a hurry. And you kinda felt that pressure to keep up with Creighton and that played into Creighton's hands because then you start making mistakes and and uh you know you it sort it of snowballs in a negative way. I mean, there's many instances last year of that happening. And the crowd plays into that. Like, I think Creighton's runs just haven't been as dynamic. And maybe that's just because they haven't hit as many threes this year. They've been, they've been a little bit more hot and cold from the three point line than they were last year so far. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I do think the crowd impacts it. Like, yes, it does. Providence getting off to a 26, to six, 23 to six start. Like, I don't think that happens. I don't in, either. Uh, the full arena, um, you know, like mm-hmm. um, some of the, the way Marquette roared back in the second half against Creighton uh, on its home court, you know, like, I think that it's Creighton's home court advantage is so significant. and I spent the summer sort of analyzing the um, a portion of the summer, analyzing like Creighton's plus minus at home versus the road versus on the road last year was unreal. I wish I had the number for you off the top of my head, but it was just insane. When you look at how much better they were at home versus versus the road. And I think, um, I think, yeah, the fan support and the atmosphere of that building. I mean, I think that, the moment that's that that it really stuck out more than anything was when seton hall um decided that they couldn't play their normal style of game and win at creighton in the final game of the season last year like they had to slow the tempo down and i think that was a salute to and and a sign of respect to what creighton is capable of in a jam-packed building with that offense away from so yeah it's it's definitely had an impact for sure yeah
0: I, i just you know you think about the end of last season. I'll never forget. I, you know, so you remember the Butler game at the end of the season as well. I want mean, to say it was like late February, and and I, I remember I did that game on TV, and I I went back to the locker room and I talked to Laval Jordan before the game, and I I, mean, John, I, I remember I'm sitting down in the coach's locker room, and you know he doesn't have his tie tied yet. He's just sitting there, and I goes, so, "How you feel about today?" And he gives me a look, like we're about to get our ass kicked. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, he was like, we are in trouble. He goes, that team, and he pointed at the, like, the other guy. Like, goes, that team is scary right now. And right. I just, and I, and I remember kind of like thinking to myself, like, yeah, y'all are in trouble today. You know, and it was like a matter of time. And I just like, again, other than the St. John's game at home, other than the Seton Hall game at home, other than the second half of Nebraska, like, I just haven't felt that, you know? I haven't felt yeah. that, like, where it is just scary for long stretches offensively, and I guess for me, as much as we want to, we because I think everything we just laid out is a factor, but I think the ultimate factor is Marcus Zagorowski. The reality is, John, I think it all comes back to him. Like until he fully regains his groove, in my opinion, this is going to be kind of who Creighton is. They're a little bit vulnerable. They're a little bit uh, inconsistent. They're maybe they're they they're they're harder to hit those like high highs uh, offensively because I just don't think people need to remember like for the final month of the season last year I'm ar- there he was arguably the best guard in the country for the final month of the season last year and so where where are you what are you seeing with with Marcus right now because I think I've said it for for Basically, since he's been here, he is so tied to Creighton's success. Like Creighton goes as he goes. Like when he plays well, Creighton plays awesome. When he struggles, Creighton struggles.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think he's. I thought he played really well against UConn. He just didn't hit shots. Um, well, he was one of five from three. But I thought he was good. Mm-hmm. And I thought he was. You know, just because. Well, I mean, RJ Cole made life tough on him, yeah. and he made and UConn's really good defensively. I
0: think people need to realize, like, yeah, they didn't have book Knight, but like that's like one of the better, that's one of the twenty best defenses in half court defenses in the country to me.
1: And they they have things that make it tough on Creighton because of their length and those big big men, their ability to hedge on ball screens. I mean, we talked about Creighton and Christian Bishop's ability yeah. to do it, yep. Martin Crumble um, before him how they can hard hedge and really force your ball handler out and back and out and back. Like they're good at that. And they got a couple turnovers in the first game um, when, when Creighton got a little too casual with the ball in those ball screen situations. So like, it's hard. I think it's hard. It's hard against UConn to find a rhythm, but I thought Marcus did a really good job um, in that game. And, and I, I, I was, I feel like I saw more and more flashes of, the old Marcus. Especially late. I Uh, thought late
0: in the game, I thought Marcus showed a few. I was going
1: to say, even before UConn, like, Seton Hall, Mm -hmm. uh, Providence, like, that Providence game, like, I think he's getting there. And, and the the message from him and Coach McDermott since the start of the season was like, he needs some reps. He needs some live reps and he didn't get a lot during the preseason or the offseason because he's either rehabbing or Creighton was taking a break and or not doing five on five easing its way back into it so um it was just going to take time and so you're right a lot of creating success is tied to tied to marcus and you know his playmaking ability it's interesting nick let me ask you this real quick because like what i've noticed over the last three ish games and i'm sure it's happened before but it's really stood out to me is how um uh how committed opposing defenses are to not helping so yeah. like when creighton's guys drive they stick like glue to the shooters and like sure yeah. teams have always tried to do that but i mean we're talking like back to the ball <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> you know yeah. like like, like on the penetration
0: they're working further out to <laughs> the shooters rather than even like like sinking in at all right
1: yeah right and so what it's led to is a lot of, i mean creighton's eighth in the country in two-point shooting percentage mm-hmm. so like it's led to a lot of twos and a lot of good looks inside, but it's also kind of like disrupted a little bit. Creighton's sort of drive and kick, make a play for a teammate, you know, get in the lane, jump stop, and let the ball sort of move. Because when they drive, it's like, dude, I could just score. <laughs> you know, like yeah. the, the, there's no defense here. I can I hit a short jumper or get all the way to the rim or get to the foul line. So I wonder now from from Marcus's standpoint, like. I mean, you do that too often with Marcus, like he's just going to drop 30 on you. <laughs> like yes, that's the Texas right. tech game yep. uh, from a year ago when, once, you know, when he f- settles in that you can't do that all game. And I think, I think of Providence, I think Providence was a little bit more conscious of when he drove, but um, you know, like I, I do think there's some adjustment there for Creighton, but then again, here's the other thing too. Like, It's hard for defenses to do that. That's like, not what you're trained to do in the man-to-man system right. it's like don't help when that driver has a lane to the bucket so um i'm, I'm curious to see well first off have you noticed that yeah i have you think it's sustainable uh, and what kind of counters can creighton come up yeah
0: like i know I, I, I have noticed that and, and to be honest with you like if i were if i were going against creighton i would do the same thing i would say listen they're going to shoot twos the whole game if they if 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 they just if they beat us making shooting sixty five percent from two whatever like what what we're not going to do is allow them to make you know f- you know rhythm rhythm kick threes the the whole game because that's obviously what they want to do um, yeah and and so to a certain extent I think then I think two things I think number one you you do kind of just got to take what the defense gives you. I mean, if you, you know, if if Marcus Zagorowski drives in there and he's got a, you know, a 10-footer, like, take it, you know? Like, there's nothing wrong with that. But this is where I think pace comes back into it. Like, it's harder to do that when you're pushing it in the open floor the early offense and i think a lot of people and i try to make this point on tv i think a lot of people think when they when they think of pace they think of a primary you have numbers fast break like like a 3 on 2 or a 2 on 1 yeah that's that is playing fast but i think even just playing and attacking early in a possession it gets harder john to like be totally organized defensively where everybody's matched up everybody is kind of locked into what they're doing i think that's where playing faster early in possessions you could land into someone making a mental mistake or an open three early so I I think it's two things you got to take what I mean if they're giving you good twos take them but I also think that's where the relentless pushing of the basketball you can land into threes early in possessions
1: well and then the other thing it's like Creighton took 23s against UConn I mean how many of those were bad shots those were all like most of them were good looks
0: I was gonna I just wrote that down
1: I, I yeah, also, like, I think however like, many they had against Providence and right. Butler I mean, Great I rewatching these games. I'm just like, wow, right. you, know, like, right. you take that all day. Right. So even though teams are trying to, at least those three opponents were trying to avoid, you know, given Creighton opportunities on the three point line, they still got them because they, you know, this offense is, you know, with the space and the pace that you mentioned, like it is tough to stop at all. And, um, so now it's just up to Creighton hitting those shots. But.
0: No, you're so right, though, because I, I, I wrote that down. And, you know, we say, like, man, the offense hasn't quite been as potent and this and that. Like, I still feel like every game Creighton gets great shots. Like, great open threes, good shots at the rim, drives. Like, the ease at which they find quality shots is just they make it look easy. Like yeah. you watch other teams run off it. Like I did De- DePaul and Marquette the other night. And it was like, Oh my God. Like the, it was, it felt like it was really hard for either team to get a quality look, you know? And like, then you watch Creighton play and it feels like, feels like the court is like bigger or something like that. Like there's just way more space on the court and every shot I'm like, e- like, that's a good look. You'll take that. Yeah. That's a good shot. So, as much as we're kind of saying, oh, man, what's the deal?" They're not like necessarily murdering people offensively. It's like, well, they're getting good shots, and I think Coach McDermott would tell you, like, that's all you can really do is just try to try to get a quality shot and trust that over the course of time, it'll all work itself out.
1: Yeah, and they've got good shooters. Obviously, I mean, I don't really, have, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but like, I mean, in terms of what they're shooting right now, but at, Mitch and Marcus are plus forty in their careers. Denzel yeah. Mahoney shot thirty eight percent. From three in Big East play last year, so like that's a big enough sample size to say, okay, he can, he's reliable from there to hit open shots. And Damian Jefferson's obviously improved his shooting, so like he can knock it down. Same with Sharif Mitchell and uh, Alex O'Connell has a track record of shooting well, and and Antoine Jones has made a lot of strides as a shooter. So, like they have plenty of guys that if you leave them open great and comfortable taking that shot it's just they've just been like really hot and cold and yeah. that was like right one of the things about last year's team that was so impressive when you look at their shooting percentages particularly from three like they had maybe four off nights in biggie's play right. from a shooting perspective from three like it was unreal unreal and, and two of them came like at the start of the season with butler and nova I mean, after that, they were just like they were so steady every night. Yeah, you know? right. Um, so this year's team has kind of been more, you know, they bom- like bombed shots against Marquette and and splashed a ton against Seton Hall and in, in the two St. John's games. But the other games, they haven't been as good. And so um, I think the looks, as we've stated, like I don't think the looks have changed. It's just a matter of them hitting it. So as coach McDermott said, and I tend to agree with him here because we've seen what these guys can do over time. It'll work out. They just got to keep getting these same shots.
0: I, I, uh, let's talk about Mitch for a second. I mean, because you know, it's weird. I, I, uh, you know, I had someone tweet at me. who was like, listen, I love Mitch. And so do you, but everyone talking up his unselfishness has made him too unselfish, all this stuff. And it's like, okay. You know, I mean, I think a lot of that's just how he's wired, but I also think like, There's a difference between being unselfish and unaggressive. And I look at Mitch right now. I think Mitch is unbelievably unaggressive to score. Like this is the most unaggressive I've seen him in his career. Like if you, like he's not hunting his own shot every single time he drives, he's driving to pass. He is never driving to finish. And, It reminds me of the old Larry Brown line that he gave Danny Manning in the, you know, in the 88 national title game. He said, there's a fine line between selfishness and responsibility. And I just look at a guy like Mitch and I'm like, you know, you think of that Butler game, Mitch, Mitch can't play 40 plus minutes and basically be a non-factor. Like he's too good of a player. He's too skilled and too good of a scorer to, to be like that. And again, like I love his unselfishness. And I think it's a huge part of what makes Creighton great. But, like, I just think he needs to increase – I think he can be aggressive and be unselfish at the same time.
1: Yeah, and and with the way that teams have been playing Creighton, as we've kind of discussed lately, they've been so glued to him on the three-point line that he hasn't got a lot of looks from from distance, not a lot of catch and shoots, you know. Um, And when he has driven – there have they're, the defense hasn't collapsed to him. They've kind of even if he's had the advantage where it looks like he maybe has his, his hip ahead of the guy or, or he's got an angle to the rim. Um, they're not bringing help, and so yeah, I think I think you're right that he can be a little bit more aggressive. I, mean, I feel like you saw it. Yeah, that big bucket against UConn yeah, late. Late. Um, he scored against Providence with like two minutes left to pull within two. Like. I think in his head, he's starting to process it a little bit more of that fact. Like, the coaches are on him, and they know. But now that he's experienced it, he sees what, you know, the downside of it is. Because, obviously, he's more apt to be to, to pass and create for others than to look for himself. But if teams are going to play Creighton like that, like, they're going to need guys to just step up and be aggressive and go to the rim. And you know Denzel Mahoney and Damian Jefferson and Zagorowski are not. <laughs> they're not going to hesitate to do it. Um, so now, now it's up to Mitch to um, to take advantage of a matchup if he if he has one and go to the rim and uh, or go inside and, and try to score. I think it's like so that it's it's weird with him in that he I mean it's not we've seen him play for for so long right. so we kind of know this but like he he doesn't a lot of like you said he drives sometimes and his in his. You, you can tell he's not even thinking, like, he's
0: not even looking at the hoop, John. Like, no. he's truly not. He's played, not even looking that at his the basketball.
1: Where it was like, shot clock was winding down and he threw a lob and it ended up hitting the rim. And I was like, dude, just shoot the floater. Just, you know, so, like, yeah, I, I, I guess you're open
0: uh, for me. He's right now, for certain games, like, for whatever reason, Kevin Willard is convinced that, like, the key to Creighton's team is Balock. Like, he did it at in both Seton Hall games last year, especially at their place, where they are just like, they basically, like, face guard him, right? Yeah. And there are a lot of teams that are doing that. So, I, like, he's getting the Ethan-Roggy treatment. Remember how Roggy, like, it got to where after he had all those threes at Nova, teams just started face guarding him. He's getting the Roggy treatment. But Roggy wasn't capable. And I love Ethan, but, like, Raggi wasn't capable of of countering that. Like, his game, just like he didn't he, – he wasn't a great passer. He couldn't put it on the deck. Like, he created a ton of space, but, like, there was nothing he could do to counteract that. See, Mitch isn't – Mitch is way more well-rounded than Raggi is. Like, Mitch can drive it. Mitch can go finish. Like, I just would like to see – I just think his aggressiveness needs to increase a little bit, and I think he can balance that aggressiveness without – sacrificing any of that unselfishness you know
1: yeah and i think i honestly i think he, it will nick man because like this they lost two in a row right. and and everyone has had to make some sort of assessment of what he's doing and how he can contribute and you know mitch is as conscious of that as anyone in terms of like how can i help this team and it, you know unselfish and it, like that that quote you reference about Unselfishness versus responsibility. It's like it almost is it almost is selfish a little bit. To it, it kind of is. It's selfish for him to you, not you, you, be aggressive. Your, your duty to the team is to yes. uh, to make a play, and even that that beats a shot that maybe is a little bit in your outside of your comfort zone, like a leaner or or a, or a driving bucket. That's you know he's worked on a lot of that stuff, but uh, you know he's obviously most comfortable firing away from three. But sometimes that's what the situation calls for, and so I think I think he's gonna. I mean, because I feel like I've seen signs, um, but now he's just got to do it a little bit more consistently and and not allow like when when teams are face guarding you. I feel like this this, this is what happened to Marcus Foster like in the K State game mm-hmm. um, in the NCAA tournament. They like face guarded him and, and were really physical and took him out. Like eventually he just kind of was uh, like a statue, right? You know, like. He didn't, he didn't it makes have you just want to stand impact. there.
0: You know, like, okay, well, if you're going to step off him. That's what Mitch him, has right. to avoid. Right. And he's got he's to gotta right. avoid that. But, yeah, it's uh,
1: – Like, he can space – like, him, him drawing the defender opens things up for other guys. Oh, God, yeah, yeah, but you don't want to spend the whole game doing that because, obviously, he can contribute another other
0: I guess that's what I'm saying. Like, there's no question even, – even, like – He still is making an enormous impact because he's creating so much space and opportunities for the other guys to score. But I guess what I'm saying is I just think there's so much more even on top of the space that he's creating that he needs to create. And I just think of like, you know, whether it's Duncan Robinson, thinking about how he played. Like, Duncan is like hunting. But at the same time, Duncan Robinson will come off a handoff and if two guys jump at him, he'll drop it down to Bam Adebayo. Or like, Steph is hunting. But same thing, if two guys run on him, he drops it to Draymond Green or skips it opposite to, you know, Wiggins or whoever. Like, I just think, like, you can do both. Like, you can you can be relentless in your pursuit of finding a shot, but also still make the right play. And for whatever reason, I, I just feel like Mitch isn't, like, quite finding that balance right now.
1: Yeah. Well, you know what? It's hard, though. Like, teams do have, like, they're they probably put Aaron Thompson on him. Right, right. I was like, oh, that's That's respect in the league. So, I mean, if you're Creighton, you're kind of like, well, that's a tough matchup for Mitch to get a. So, you know, uh, I think about that was the first half against UConn, I think, where Creighton does that little hit and chase. It's kind of like a handoff. They call it a hit and chase. Like, you'll handoff with a big man who who hands the ball off to a guard and then screens that guard's defender really quick. And they kind of just play cat and mouse a little bit. I feel like Mitch and Christian, I think, was the guy who was setting the screen. Like Mitch was running around this dude right. for like five seconds, trying to get free, and he eventually did get free for for a three, and he missed it. But I, I was thinking, watching that, I was like, "Gosh, it is so hard for him to get open because like teams are putting good defenders on him, right? Athletic guys that are maybe getting away with some grabs or some physicality, but it's Big East place. so you got to roll with it." Um, so I I say I say all that to say, but still, you know they need more yeah <laughs> no I no, they I need totally more. understand so they, and, need, yeah. they need him to put forth that effort right. every just, time well not every you know, time it's... just obviously there's other options but like um there are certain times in the game where, where he has to be that aggressive where it takes like five moves to break free and get right. a shot so. right
0: and yeah it's just uh it's it's an interesting situation for for him right now and yeah, cause he he is i just think last year you saw way more drive and f- he he, would, he he had a lot of drives and finishes at the rim last year he, way more than you think he would and i just don't think he's getting a lot of that right now because he's just not really looking for it and again he's he's he is uh he's still making an enormous impact but they need they need they need it, him to kind of go to another level offensively yep. to me
1: but yep.
0: uh th- you know what's what's kind of amazing we talk about like referencing last season and even I mean, this group's been together for a couple of seasons now. The thing that's pretty amazing to say out loud is if you if you didn't hadn't watched this this team for the past couple of seasons, you'd think Damian Jefferson is Creighton's best player by a mile. <laughs> like you you would think Damian Jefferson is the preseason conference player of the year. Like he's the guy. You know, like he has been so stinking good this season. Like what is what. What has stood out to you with his year? Because it's been like it's been remarkable how good he's been.
1: Yeah, and honestly, the reason why, in my opinion, the reason why UConn got back in the game at the end of the first half was Damian Jefferson was in foul trouble, wasn't out there. Uh, Crane's offense stalled a little bit, had maybe some breakdowns on defense. They missed him. They missed him a lot. Um, his ability to get in the paint and finish. Honestly, put the ball on the floor and make smart decisions. Make make reads. Just just reacting um to the defense. Now he's like we've spent all that time talking about Mitch. Like Damian Jefferson is the main beneficiary of thousands of the teams are placing on stopping Mitch because a lot of times they'll get I don't know, the worst offender?
0: Let's take a quick break to talk to you about my longtime pals and loyal supporters of the podcast, Pella Windows and Doors. Pella has a window type for every home and every budget. And you might know Pella for its award-winning wood windows, but did you know that Pella also has a complete line of industry-leading patented fiberglass and vinyl windows? Pella's fiberglass windows use a patented Duracast material, more durable than aluminum or vinyl made from a composite material used in the aerospace industry for its strength, durability, and temperature resistance. It's big time right there. And Pella's vinyl window series offer all the features that make it one of the most energy efficient windows on the market with the same value and style you've come to expect from all Pella products with outstanding structural integrity. Built from multi-chambered, fully welded frames and sashes, Pella's vinyl windows assure a quieter, more comfortable home. Bottom line, Pella's vinyl and fiberglass windows are really, really cool. Check them out online, PellaOmaha.com. That's PellaOmaha.com. And while we're here, let's talk about my good friends at Runza. Got another super secret menu item not a lot of people know about. My friends at Runza are hooking me up, and I'm going to let you in on it. This one's just, uh, you know, this one's near and dear to my heart because it's a twist on the best fries on earth runza's crinkle fries it's runza's chili cheese fries that's some legendary runza crinkle fries topped with their homemade chili and cheddar cheese sauce let me say that again in case some of you passed out just thinking about it legendary runza crinkle fries homemade chili cheddar cheese sauce oh my goodness it's a side that eats like a meal so there you go Another super secret menu item exclusively for Nick Ba podcast listeners. So stop in, order the chili cheese fries and runza. And while you're there, I'll tell them Nick Ba sent you. Okay, back to the podcast. He, he's, that's what I was going to say. The one thing I will say, I, I, not to take anything away from Damian, he is benefiting greatly from, he is pretty much fourth on the pecking order of who teams are kind of like, putting on their scouting report of what they're trying to take away right now. And he benefits a lot, John, of like, he's he's almost always playing the four right now. Like, so he's getting he's getting such, it seems like almost every game, he's got the best matchup on the floor.
1: And he's yeah. torching people. Especially in a one-on-one setting. Like, if you yeah. got to to attack a poor closeout or, or late closeout or um, with a ball reversal or something like against UConn, Mitch Ballack, had a little skip pass over the, to Damian Jefferson. He caught it and just went right to the rack. Um, those types of situations he's just thrived in. Um, but I've been, I've been impressed with his moves, his dribble. Like he had a, a drive, jump stop, like quick finish on, on one play. I think he's shown the euro at one point in transition maybe. Uh, you know, he's just been really uh, confident, I guess, with with all the different ways that he's tried to attack the rim and score. And um, yeah, he's been really good on the block, like in the post taking advantage of, of mismatches, maybe when he, when they put smaller guards on him, like he's been efficient there. I, he's probably been their most efficient post-up guy. though he's had limited opportunities compared to Bishop or Kalkbrenner, but he's been good on the block. So um, he's just been super consistent. And I think that that's something that Curtin has really needed because we've talked about Mitch and, and, Denzel Mahoney has had games where he's been really hot and games when he's been really cold. And Marcus Zagorowski still trying to find his footing. And Christian Bishop's dealt with foul trouble at times. So was Ryan Kalferner. Um Those guys on the bench have been injured at times. Like Damian I Jefferson's just been solid Steady. every game. Know what you're gonna get. Right. And uh, he's like some of the things that his teammates have talked about, just his leadership, the impact that he's had with his voice, which is a really a uh, a credit to him because he's he wasn't that guy um, when I was at practice. You know, he he was. It's not like he wasn't engaged, but he just wasn't. Right. He wasn't vocal. And uh, and he's up that and 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 like when you watch games and you see shots of their huddles, or maybe it's in between a free throw or something like he's always talking right. and always trying to encourage guys. So he's made a huge impact and. Yeah, like, to this point, he's their MVP. He's their best like, player right now. Like, he has been, you know?
0: I don't think so, there's any doubt.
1: It's 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 been impressive to see his transformation because, like...
0: His... Yeah. You know, you, you, you touched on it, but, like, he has improved so much in his decision-making and playing off two feet in the lane. Like, it is the every time... It the is, jump stop. It is drive, jump, stop. And great things happen, like every like he drives, he lands on two, and he's either able to 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 you know find a, a, a crease to get a layup, or he finds Christian or a kickout or something like. It's just his he's so under control, and it all be, it's all it sounds lame, but like he is playing off two feet, like he is like Jalen Brunson or you know those Nova guys. Like it's incredible. Like, he is putting on a clinic of the benefits of playing off two feet in the lane.
1: It's amazing. Yeah. And it's crazy, too, when you watch. If you, if you were to pull up games of his or clips from last year, two years ago, there's so many instances. This guy can remember saying this. And it's a little bit with Tyshawn, too, because Tyshawn got better at playing with two feet last year before he left. It's like, oh, man, if only you just jump stop there, dude. Right. Like, if only you just jump stop right there because the defense was coming at you and said he, you know, he'd go off one foot and get a shot blocked. Or have a really difficult uh, play that he was trying to make. All of a sudden, you get on two feet. Their options are endless, and so, yeah. The, the coaches have preached that. I mean, that they, you can tell. That's, I mean, that's that's, that's been a uh, what, what do we call? Do we call that a a, a thievery, a steal, um, a sampling of Villanova yeah. culture? Yeah. Oh, Villanova I mean,
0: like like you're in there. I think they have a drill called Nova Jump Stops. Like oh right, right, yeah right They, they yeah. work on it, you know, and. I mean, even he had two straight drives. I think it was the UConn game where he had the same finish. And he's he's so under control of playing off two feet. He's not even doing euro steps. He's doing full fledged like crow hop sidestep into a jump stop. Like here comes the help, and he is jump stopping through it, through hitting a scene. It's just and then he's yeah. then he's so under control he can go finish. It's just like he is putting on a clinic. On how to be under control and play off two feet, like yeah, he's shooting the ball better. But to me, that's the part of his game that is like gone to a totally different stratosphere this year.
1: Yeah, yeah, I remember the play, one of those jump stops that he had where he drove baseline. I think in two, like two of the UConn's biggest guys. Yes were right around him and he just like hopped right through Hop him hopped right through and him easy scoop layup
0: and you could tell UConn was like what the what what happened like, what, <laughs> you know what I mean they were like <laughs> they thought they had him and he somehow he jump stopped between two guys and then had the easiest finger roll you've ever seen in your life and it's just
1: I'm just like that's that that is that that to me is this yeah I mean all those different moves that he's shown this year right like I'm like wait I didn't know you had all this he stuff he is like, where did you get I, I, all this you I know can, he's working really hard in the summer. It, it but, is like
0: uh, – it, it seems like something's close for him. Oh, God. I mean, I, I was, he – one of the coolest parts about basketball is when you can tell someone is totally in the zone and totally confident, and he just looks like he is drenched in confidence. Like, the game is moving slow. He is just not even – he's not over- overthinking it. Like, he is in the zone. Like, I don't think people understand how much this guy is totally like Neo in the Matrix right now when he's driving. Like, everything right. is happening in slow motion for him right now.
1: Yeah. And on the other end, man, like, now he's been pretty good defensively. I mean, he's got a lot of steel, so that's, that jumps out. But he was amazing against Tyler Poly Yes. in that game. Like, he was all up in that guy's grill. And that dude, you know, he's like 6'8", six, 6'9". Six, Big guy. He can put the ball on the floor and – hit some step backs fadeaways you really just can't give him any room to operate and that's exactly what dj did i I was really impressed with his activity and just level of focus and you can see like he understands the game he's starting to see things defensively one of the reasons why his steals are up like he's reading plays um you know what did they call that shortcutting a screen yeah yeah
0: he'll undercut uh, yeah, he had one yeah, of the
1: like. Yeah. you realize, oh, that guy's going. He's 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 about to try to screen me, and I just jump over the top of it or something, or find a way to get around it. And then all of a sudden, I'm in the passing lane. You know, right. like right. He's just recognizing whether that's film or just recognizing basketball and being aware. Um, I feel like he's been really good oh, at that too. So, yeah, you know, like it's he. I mean, he had some lapses against Butler. They all did. Yep, they didn't play. They gave up a lot of easy stuff there. And the free throw shooting is something that, you know, he was seven of eight against UConn. So that's obviously a good sign. Like he wants to, they, they need him because he's shooting a ton. Right. So like if he's going to go to the line, they need him to be better than what is he's 56% or something like that. So, um, but he's been amazing. Yeah. Been like just, his his man. growth, his transformation, like if, if Creighton wants to, they, they already can sell development and, you know, improvement to recruits, but like he is, uh, he he might be one of their best projects in, in the in the history really of the lying. staff. No, you. Like I mean, because I, I don't know.
0: I think I might have told you this. I don't think there's ever been a player, really, two of Creighton's starters. I I I, I can admit it now. I was very lukewarm on Christian Bishop and Damian Jefferson when they first got here. I was kind of like, I don't know, I I don't. They're not overly skilled. They're not – they can't – they shoot – they don't shoot it great. And it's just like those two guys – I've I've never had two guys at Creighton exceed whatever expectation level I set for them. And maybe this is my own fault. But, like, I, I'm so – I've been blown away at what this staff has done with those two guys in particular. It's been
1: amazing. Yeah, no doubt. And I – this is probably – it's probably unfair to Christian. But I've always sort of – I've always kind of compared him to Cole Swider because just from a success standpoint, just because Creighton recruited Cole and Cole picked Nova. And then, um, you know, Creighton got Bishop in that class and they both, they don't play the exact same position. Obviously Christian's more of a five for Creighton, but they were as recruits similar. And I always think about, you know, Cole Swider was this really highly rated guy who knocked down shooter, all this things, all this stuff. And I was like, Oh man, he's perfect for Creighton's offense and Christian Bishop I'm like well yeah maybe <laughs> right. and look at that you know just sort know. of like it's it sort of as a reminder of of um how you know your assessments in terms of evaluating recruits as a novice and amateur like myself like what do I know right. like give, give the well, coaching staff credit I think the other thing recognizing, is recognizing something... I mean they, they they would have I'm sure they would have taken Cole Wider if he wanted to come to Creighton but uh they found a really good option in Christian Bishop and they made they've helped him uh maximize and he's done a really good job of being open to finding a way to be his be at his best at the five like I don't think he signed up and said oh yeah I'm ready to go to Creighton so I can play an undersized five but <laughs> right. he recognized that's a need and now let me see how I can use my strengths um, to uh to help impact the team and and honestly man like every time I watch an NBA game and I see like, look, I don't know Christian's got work to do to get there, but I see what NBA teams are doing with their fives. And I'm like, dude, Christian Bishop, you might have an opportunity here. There's some obvious some improvement. He's six, seven. And a lot of these fives in the NBA are six nine, six ten, But like, you know, bam out of bio, you know, right. like, right. There's a new age five now.
0: Right. And, and, yeah. You gotta be able to Christian pass handoff. Yeah. So, Right no I, I it's just i think the i mean a part of recruiting is forecasting and projecting not who someone is right now but who they'll be in 2 or 3 years and i think that's where a lot of the good recruiters you know like if you're solely looking at a junior in high school and and thinking about who they are now well i mean that's a pretty short-sighted way of of kind of looking at things and clearly this staff was able to look at a guy like him and and see See what maybe other people weren't able to see. At least what I for sure wasn't able to see when I first first saw him. Um,
1: yeah, and that's. what that, I mean, you can look at every guy on this roster and sort of, um, yeah. You know, Marcus Zagorowski is another example. I mean, he was in the same class as David Duke, and, right. and the Jays were interested in recruiting David Duke as well. And and if you ask me, I'd be like, well, look at David Duke, man. That huge like Like, Get that dude if you right. can. Uh, but Marcus Ligarowski, he gets here all of a sudden, it's like, wow, he perfect fit. Like, what, do I th- what am I talking about? I you know, know so I know. Um, it, it is the, 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 the uh, sort of delicate nature of evaluating recruits. And they're not always right every time, obviously, the, the Jays staff, but they've hit a lot of them. And they found guys that really fit what they want to do. And they've worked around and, and found ways to help them maximize and adjust the system to them. Um, now I'm sure Creighton fans would. It's that that recruiting philosophy thing is it's just interesting because like I've heard McDermott say a lot of times like we're going after speed and skill and um, maybe like a savviness and IQ and we'll take a hit. I don't know if he necessarily has said this, but like the conclusion I draw from right. it is like well we'll take a hit in athleticism if it means we've got guys that are can shoot, pass, and right. make right, make good decisions. Like, we can work with that because that's what our offense is built around. And then we'll figure out the other piece in terms of strength and development uh, during their time on, on campus. Whereas other teams are just kind of grabbing the best-looking guys they can get, and then they are right. say, well, we can develop that skill once we're on campus. And so different ways to go about it, but Creighton's obviously sort of mastered at least to this point, mastered uh what it's they know exactly sort of, what they're looking for, man. Yeah, yeah what, what the vision is. Yes. And um it's been kind of interesting to see um as, especially now that they're in the big east and it's the highest level of basketball that you can get. And yet they're still able to kind of um find guys almost diamonds in the rough at times. Um so but now <laughs> I don't know. Now they're being elevated elevating that recruiting uh, I know now they're getting like so top hundred guys, top you know what I mean. Is like, yeah. rated really high, <laughs> and uh, and they've got guys though that I still think fit their system really well. So we'll see how it all plays out. A
0: couple more things. I'll let you run here. Um, how do you see the the Antoine Jones Alex O'Connell situation, and, and do you do you see that as a one or the other? Like, do you think Mac ultimately needs to kind of pick one and ride with them, or they can can they kind of find a a, a role for both guys?
1: I think they need them both. Because you know, all of a sudden, when with O'Connell out and Sharif Mitchell played against Yukon, but he was still hobbled by that ankle. It's like, man, that rotation is thin. Jacob Epperson, you know that he's battling a knee and then you know, there's no timetable yet for his return. So they were at like 10 for a minute there, and you're like, oh, that's great. But then in, against Yukon, like there's a chance if Sharif didn't play, and he, he played, but he was still hurt. Like, there are seven, still so seven and a half. I think you need these guys. And when Creighton's been at its best, it's gotten really good contributions from its bench. Yeah. And so they, they their ability to – because they have – both Antoine and Alex have some athleticism and some playmaking ability um, that can give teams issues. I think – what they've struggled with offensively is kind of finding the right. Hmm, it's, it's, it's sort of knowing when to be aggressive and when to, uh, maybe it's kind of like the, the Mitch scenario in reverse. <laughs> like right. we're talking about <laughs> yeah. not being aggressive enough to score. Maybe at times those guys have been too aggressive to maybe not necessarily score, but just make a play when it's like, well, drive to the elbow, don't stop, kick it out and let someone else kind of attack a defense instead of trying to, you know, feed this pass in um, between defenders, or take this floater. Uh, maybe you, maybe you can just kind of get keep the ball moving a little bit more. Um, and then defensively, I think they're both still adjusting to you know that all the things that Creighton wants to do from a communication standpoint and being uh, connected as a group. So, but I think they, I think there's a role for both because like Antoine's kind of played more the four, and and Alex O'Connell's kind of been like a a three, a two, a three. So, I think they can both contribute. um, And I think it elevates Creighton's ceiling if those guys can start being a little bit more consistent with their impact on games.
0: You know, because, yeah, I think, you know, Antoine is still just figuring out not having the ball stick in his hands offensively and all that and and some of the decision making. But at the same time, like, he's got 26 assists and 11 turnovers on the season. Like, you know, he still made pretty good decisions from a standpoint of not turning it over. Uh,
1: and then it, yeah that's I just crazy. Think, I did not realize that because I, what's stuck in my head is like a couple passes against Butler, right? Maybe one against Providence. So, uh, um, think about that, John, I mean, 26
0: to 11, like, yeah, you know, good. it's, I think his poor decisions have been when the balls just kind of, st- it's, it's not been as much turnovers as it's been ball sticking and some shot selection at times, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and in Creighton's office, sometimes a bad shot feels like a turnover because it just never happens. You know, they usually like when someone does force them a bad one. You're like, whoa, what was that? You know, like that that's that's it sticks out when you when you watch Creighton play. And then for like, you can tell Alex is still just trying to find his confidence within the with with feeling totally comfortable in this situation right now. You know, he showed flashes against uh, God, what was St. John's or Seton Hall, one of the two games. Um, St. John's. St. John's. he was out. Yes, yeah. and so, but yeah, out. you can see it with both those guys. But yeah, I, because we when that when that when that bench is full strength, that's arguably the biggest difference from last year's team to this year's team. Like they can bring in four guys that can really make an impact off the bench, and that really wasn't the case last year after Denzel.
1: Yep, exactly. You know? And and you know, riding the starters as much as they have had to do. Uh, last year and at times this year, like that's not great. It worked last year. Don't get me wrong. Like they, those, got credit those guys that stayed in shape and avoided injury. You know, you know, a little lucky, I guess. But yeah, that's not the recipe you want. And especially given what we kind of talked about at the start, the potential impact of Creighton's pace. If you give those guys just a couple extra minutes uh, break, they can ratchet that tempo up even more and put the pressure on opponents. So they need, yeah, they need those guys. Uh, to be good hey you you mentioned shot selection I feel like we should give some credit to Denzel Mahoney because he's obviously been a guy who's like tried he's kind of gone through it and tried to figure out what's good and what is it you know in terms of what shots to take but I thought he was really good against UConn man yeah. like his the shots that he took he might have been eight for eight from or uh he might have maybe it was five for five on twos or something like that like his twos. That's where he kind of gets in trouble at times. I feel like it is what mid because he he has he's confident in his mid range J, but like when to take it, and I feel like he just had a really good, um, uh, just a good pace to him. Like he's improved. Like when dribbles, you think about, think about like the he was the, under control in that game and, and it was big.
0: Think about like the Arizona State game on the road last year or the you know, like Oklahoma, like he real he was coming in and shooting almost every time he touched the ball, you know, like, yeah. and then you contrast what you are seeing with him now. Like he has really grown in that department and listen to it. I mean, we haven't even really talked about him. Like it's, it just goes to show you how, how I think what we both think of him is like, we just, I think we think so highly of him that like him leading the team in scoring, they like are like, yeah, well, I mean, that's Denzel, you know, like he's, right. he's done a nice job this season in a lot of different ways.
1: Yeah, I just, I just like, I like that version of what I saw on Saturday. I mean, if he can continue that, because there's still been times when he's maybe forced it a little bit, and well, he's, he got hot against Butler, so everyone was like, "Dude, force it, <laughs> like, right, keep right. going," because we, we need you. Um, but yeah, because like t- teams know he can shoot, so they're going to try to put him on the on, the, on force him to make plays off the dribble, and he's just got to find that right balance of when to settle. And, and there were plays too where he. Started to drive, realized the lane was cut off, and stopped, and pivoted, and kicked the kicked the, kicked it out, or tried to find a teammate. And I thought those were just as impressive as like the drive to the cup or the one dribble pull up uh, that he hit like in transition um, to break a 48-48 tie against UConn. So like um, I think he's he's still evolving, obviously, and still learning. But um, I, I I like that piece of or, or that that version of Denzel on on Saturday. I think that that's. If he can replicate that, uh, that's a good thing for the Jays.
0: And then uh, the other guy we haven't talked about is Ryan Kalkbrenner has been fantastic, all things considered. And, like, the way he's seemingly improved each game and, like, the impact, like, uh, Jays fans should be so damn excited about him being in the program right now.
1: He's perfect. Another guy that they found that's, like, Now, he wasn't off the radar. No. I mean, he had, I think, Kansas offered. Uh, he was deciding between Purdue and Stanford, so those are good programs, and then Creighton. But he wasn't, like, crazy highly recruited or anything. I mean, he played on the AAU circuit uh, uh, or the Nike AAU circuit, so people knew him. But I'm like, how did you get this dude? Because yeah. he's perfect. Again. He's awesome. He's <laughs> another guy that not only is so agile and mobile that can do a lot of the things that they want to offensively with their bigs, uh you know putting those guys putting teams in ball screen scenarios and diving to the rim and he's got such good footwork it seems like and he's always under control he's got some post moves but um what he does from a defensive standpoint i mean like you would take a guy who who has his offensive game creighton would take that guy um as a recruit Like that's they'll 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 be like all right we'll work with you defensively try to figure it out but he has potential to be elite uh, as a big man defensively no question one of the best in the conference by the time his career's done so like obviously he's a really good child blocker um i think he's good, he's improving with his uh his ability to read plays and and they, they're doing more things with him in ball screens i think so he's adjusting there i mean he's got to figure out that physicality thing he's going to add strength i'm sure but he's got a good frame like a good body people say uh look at him and say well he's He's slender, but he 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 actually has like a good base to him. It, it's just like, yeah, he needs to get in the weight room and add some upper body strength, right? But like, right. I like his frame a lot. So, so um, man, he's been a nice piece for them. Like, I don't know where they'd be without him. Now that I think about it, like they've needed they, him because he's he in some t- a tough spot. So, it, like, really valuable addition for the Jays, and he's been better than advertised. Like, it's I've, I've been. Uh, amazed watching his impact right from the start.
0: I couldn't agree more. I mean, his... I mean, he's only playing 14 minutes a game, and it's like, that's not that much, and man, you feel him on the floor. You just feel him. Like, he is... hes He just provides two things that Creighton didn't have last year. They didn't have a guy that they could just throw the ball into the post to. You know, like, the only guy that could kind of do it was Denzel, and that's a different kind of pure post-up. But they now have a guy that can throw the ball in the post to and a guy that can, can, like you've pointed out, alter and block shots at the rim, you know? And those are two enormous things, like enormous things. And so he is – I know that – I'm sure you talked to the staff was really high on him. And so he set – they kind of set the bar high in my mind and he has exceeded it. I mean, I've just been so impressed with what he's – I mean, I'm hard-pressed outside of your, you know, your Dawson Garcias and all that stuff. Like – there aren't too many better freshman bigs you see when you just kind of look across the landscape of college basketball. Like, he's really, yeah, really uh, a good player.
1: Yeah, like Hunter Dickinson in Michigan yep. comes to mind right off the top. Like, that's kind of maybe a different stratosphere. Right. I mean, okay, freshman in the Big East, Dawson Garcia, Posh Alexander. Like, who else am I missing? Oh. Like, he's got a – a is going to be on the all-freshman team. And it's right? funny
0: because like, I, I, I agree league. with you, but I feel like he hasn't talked about a ton. I think maybe because Creighton's so star-studded that – those guys cast such a big shadow that he kind of gets forgotten. Uh, mm-hmm. But yeah, he—I would be—I think he's an all-freshman team guy, you know. Yeah. But uh, but he just doesn't seem like he gets the the run that he maybe you would think an all-freshman team performer would get.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, no. Like I was I was having a blast watching him. There's only only a couple instances, but him and Adama Sinogo from UConn. That's another freshman, big yeah. guy, going at it at times on Saturday. I'm like. I could get down with this. It's a little old this, school man. watching yeah. these two guys go uh, toe-to-toe and, and watch them develop over the next couple of years. That's going to be fun. So, yeah, like, he may not – yeah, you're, you're right. He may not be getting a lot of – but if, uh, if, if you're watching Creighton, you know the impact. Oh, and boy. so um, I'm curious to see now if he hits a freshman wall. Right, I think that this that's is always kind of the time. question with first-year guys. Yep. Yeah, as good as they are – I mean, even Justin Patton hit a wall at a point in, in this, like, really impressive season – um where he's freshman of the year in the league like at some point teams are going to figure you out and adjust to you how do you respond to that he's he seems to have a really good sort of level headed approach so I think he'll handle it well but you never know I mean like a guy like Kyrie Thomas they eventually couldn't play him right
0: yeah I mean he eventually like, kind right of his lost his year. yeah
1: so right, right um we know what he turned out to be so like I'm, I'm curious because they need him like they need him to be that sort of like coach McDermott referred to him as the change up to Christian Bishop they have a little bit different Style game. Right. Um, they need him and they need that impact off the bench. Um, so we'll see how he develops. But yeah, he, like I remember the coaching staff telling me he was number one on their recruiting board yep. when they started evaluating centers for the 2020 class, um, whatever that was, two years ago. And uh, they were extremely they were excited when he chose them. <laughs> yes. And then obviously, once they got him in practice and got a chance to look at him, like the reviews were off the charts. Yep. But you're always kind of like, well, what does that mean? And right.
0: you, you never know it until means, it happens oh, in a game.
1: Yeah. You just uh, never so know. He's been really good, for sure. Uh,
0: I'll get you out of here on this. I mean, where? I guess two things. Have you heard anything on makeup games with some of these, all the games that have been postponed or whatever? Like, everybody's used the term postponed, but I also don't know what that really looks like in terms of scheduling. You know, like, is Nova. How are they going to, are they going to, is no one going to try to play like a game every other day until the end of the really? season? That's the only like, way it can
1: happen. How are they going to do this? Because no I remember I, I looked at it when they first started, it came back off their paws. And they had to, They I think it, they had to do something like 17 games in seven weeks. So that's like, you know, two games a week um, plus more, you know, yeah. somehow fit in three more games. That's to get to twenty. That's that's unrealistic. Like you just don't do that in a normal conference season, uh, much less this season when games are still getting postponed. You could have all those games on the schedule and cram it in, and still lose two at some point. And, and like, how are you gonna make it up? So no, there's been no announcement in terms of what they're gonna do. And I think it's just the assumption that everyone's making is like uh, nobody's gonna get to twenty. Like, and and that's just gonna that's just how it's gonna be. Um, so I don't know who that benefits or, or how it's going to all shake out. I mean, I wish Nick that we, that college basketball would have been more innovative as a whole with its scheduling. Um, I feel, I I don't know, you and I might've talked about this at the start of the season. Maybe I heard you talking about it on your podcast. Like they could have, it might've been more expensive and it might've been, it certainly would have been more logistically challenging, but I mean, to run a season, basically like normal during a pandemic seems i mean that's they they basically put themselves in this situation where it's just going to be potentially chaotic um during the stretch run and into march and who knows what's going to happen with the tournament like i feel like they could have found ways to like the one thing i was thinking about was like okay the conference tournament they want to they obviously want to play that they have tv deals tied to it well why are you going to play it like literally seven days before the NCAA tournament. Right. When you can put all these teams in one location and play, you're asking whatever it is, for 10, it. 11 games and like increase the risk of exposure, whatever percentage that is like, it's not zero. So why do, why not do that in mid February? Like yeah. put teams, like you could even set it up like a bubble. And then suddenly you, you could, um, if you got eliminated from the main tournament, maybe there's a consolation ladder. We could still get games in and, and, um kind of push toward that regular season mark of 20 like i feel like there is a way to uh be a little bit different in in how you went about it and again it's challenging that's not easy i don't have the answers from a financial standpoint it's not like everyone's got all this money laying around but um they 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 are going to be in a bind like students are coming back on campus soon um like you said how do you fit all these games in you can't and what happens if one of your better teams, if you're the Big East, one of your better teams is on a pause in March, going into the NCAA tournament? I mean, what does like that's, that's that's obviously a horrible situation. Right. So, or what if Villanova wins the league like with a seven to two record? Right. Like, like, what do you that do? You know, feel right. Like you know, so that could happen. It absolutely but, could
0: happen. And but uh, you're but you're right. It is it is amazing how they've basically like let's be honest, they've done the season exactly how they always do the season from a structure standpoint. Like it's kind of yeah. amazing that they have nobody's really altered anything, nothing, you know. And like, I, I do get nervous now. Students are like you just said; students are coming back on campus, uh, and the, it, I'm just—it's hard. I'm 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 having a hard time picturing the NCAA tournament go off with zero hiccups, you know. And like, what do you do? Like, what if what if t- three days before the the NCAA tournament, Gonzaga is out?
1: I oh, know. What do you do? You can't, to me, it's your tournament. Like, why do you have to do it the same way you always do it? I agree. I mean, like, I'm with you with know. A but team then, like Gonzaga, you don't want to like spoil. Like, I mean, it's a historic chance but then, for a but then historic the hard part season is, for them. Like, yeah. And, and we've seen how easily transmissible the virus is. You can do everything right and still get it. Like, I I can't we don't know all the details yet with what they're going to do for the NCAA tournament. I mean, there's, there's some conversations that there could be some opportunity for makeup, uh, makeup dates or, or stretching it out a little bit, but it feels like the structure is pretty much intact. So like if, if, if a team were to have a massive outbreak, like they're done, if you lose, you could, maybe you could survive if you only had one or two positive tests and you could isolate those guys and everyone else could clear. And maybe you, Took a couple days off, but yeah, and that that to me is unfortunate. It makes me nervous. That's what we're going to, and like bubbles suck. I mean, I heard from the NBA players. You hear the interviews; those guys like no one liked it. Um, But if that's the trade-off to like avoiding the potential, you know, a positive test, like do you think that players would sign up for that? Like these NCA players who are devoting so much time and energy to getting a chance to live out a dream by playing. In March Madness, like, would they trade that uncomfortable, not ideal situation for a chance to be COVID-free and I think you know, yeah. Yeah. May, may reach their potential? Like, I think they would. I think they so, would. I, what they're going to try it, you know, controlled environment and do as best Ooh. they can. But I feel like uh, one of the things I should do, Nick, and I'm kind of like uh, this is what I'll do in February, just kind of monitor. All right here are the 70 80 teams who i think are going to be in the NCAA tournament let's see how many are actually playing this week let's see how many teams are actually playing this good, week like if yeah, you did right. that test right now
0: right what would you have
1: like 10 teams out
0: well and you know and then the thing that you know we talk about like what do you do if gonzaga's out we're like well you could postpone the tournament until they're ready but it's like okay well then where do you draw the line on what team is worthy of like Altering how you're doing things versus, like, oh, Gonzaga is okay. Hold on, we got to hold up until they're ready to go. Oh, Ohio yeah. State, uh, were they really right. gonna do much? I don't know. I don't like you know what I mean. Like, I don't know
1: what you do with this stuff. And like, if Drake, they, what if Drake had it? You know, yeah, if they got some positive tests, like, right? You go add ah, Drake, I mean, it, could be a, it could be a once in a generation season for Drake, but it's Drake's like, what are we gonna do for you know? So, I don't know, uh, it's gonna be I interesting. I don't know what the answer is, but I don't I, either, I, but I just am nervous. I felt like the best like if i were setting it up and i get it tv this doesn't make any sense from a tv standpoint there's obviously been it's been proven that if you disrupt the normal window when we as sports fans consume our sports the numbers the ratings ratings go down so like they want to stay in that traditional window but like i thought it would be either push the tournament all the way back to may or do some sort of like bubble two weeks off bubble, two weeks off bubble, you know, that kind of thing. So where you give yourself some leeway in case a team, especially one as, as uh, proven as, as Gonzaga and with as much notoriety as Gonzaga and potential to win the whole thing, like you don't discount them for just being unlucky because right. that's what it's going to come down to. Somebody's yep. going to get unlucky and, uh, and miss an opportunity to have you know, a memorable run. Brutal. So it's gonna I don't be know, interesting. Man. like, man. again, I, I, I don't want to act like I know the answers cause I don't, but it just feels like this isn't the right way to do it. <laughs> uh, it might be the cheapest way though. Right. Probably the cheapest way. Well, and, you're just hoping uh, and home, hope isn't a plan. You're,
0: you're, yeah. you're just hoping it all works out. And you know, we're in it, we're in abnormal times and to operate things normally just seems like, again, you're just hoping. And I, I, I hope, I hope everything goes off without a hiccup, but color me nervous for what the, for what when the calendar turns to March, what things ultimately look like here, man.
1: Uh, Yeah. Well, we'll see. They, they, they've always talked about having these contingency plans, especially in the big East. The the big East has talked about different options, regional scheduling models or uh, bubbles, mini bubbles, like three team, 14 pods to get games in if things reach a certain point. But what is that point? Like what actually prompts you to pivot? Like what would prompt the NCAA to say, "Uh Oh, what we have set up that's not going to work because it's February 25th and 15 potential NCAA tournament teams are on a pause. Right. Like, does it need to be 25? You know, does it need to be half the field? I don't know, but that's not, that to me is going to be kind of curious to follow as well. Is like, well, what, what is the breaking point? Um, and we may never know. And ho- I guess hopefully we, we never we don't know, know the answer. Right. That means that it, it worked <laughs> and uh, well cross our fingers. Cause obviously we all love March Madness.
0: John Niatawa, Creighton Beat Writer, Omaha World Herald. Read his stuff, get a paper, go to Omaha.com. John, awesome stuff as always. I kept you way longer than I said I would. I appreciate you, my man.
1: No problem. Always love uh, talking hoops with you, Nick. Good luck on the podcast, man. All
0: right, my thanks to Pella. If you're thinking about a new window or a new door, now is the time. Check them out online on the web at PellaOmaha.com. That's Pella, Omaha. Dot com and uh, my thanks to my good friends at Runza. Best fries on the planet, great burgers, cheese Runza, delicious. The food is simply fantastic. Runza makes it all better. A Huda Media
1: Production.